Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Well, if, if we've not met before, my name's Josh. I'm the pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church and also out at Sandy Creek and Williamstown Uniting Churches as well. Uh, so it's a privilege to be able to bring you the Word. And if you are joining us for the first time or visiting, particularly online, uh, it's wonderful that you could be with us today and you've chosen to take some time out to hear from God's Word and to worship with us. That's a real privilege uh, that we can lead you in that way. You'd notice on the end of the pews, uh, or on the end of the rows there, there's some blankets. There's no shame in grabbing one of those. If you need it, uh, this place gets a little cold. We're exploring heating and all of that through the end of this year. But uh, if you need to grab a, a blanket, feel free to do so. No shame, no judgment. Um, it's, it's important in that way. So I, I do enough walking around up here that it doesn't really matter too much um, in that way for me. All right. Have you ever had a chance to sit with someone who was a true master in their craft? Someone who had truly attained greatness in a, in a particular skill. Have you ever had the chance to sit with someone like that? Might have been a, a pro basketball player, if that's your interest, or it could be um, a pro a, a golfer or a professional musician. Anyone ever had a chance to sit with someone that they really admired? Someone that you looked up to, someone that you had just achieved a level of greatness that, well, you kind of hoped you might one day, or a level of greatness you knew you'd never attain. I wonder, did you ever have a chance to sit with someone like that? It's a truly wondrous and masterful thing. It might be an author that you've looked up to, a communicator. It is a humbling experience if you ever get the chance. But I wonder, have you ever, if you've ever had a conversation like that, as the conversation progresses, you start to recognize something really significant. And that thing is that what makes a person, an extraordinary or a gift or even a master in a specific skill or a specific gift has got very little to do with what you think it does. When you talk to a master about what makes them a masterful communicator or a masterful musician, it's not the fact that they can get up and play an extraordinary piece of music in an extraordinary way. What makes them a masterful musician, perhaps, is that they have spent time and energy, hours upon hours upon hours upon hours, practicing the craft. It's not that they can just play a piece of music. It's that they know where their fingers need to be on the keys. It's that their fingers have got the strength to be able to move fast enough. It's that they can read music. It's that they understand where they are in the music. They understand the tempo. They understand the, all the other things about music I don't understand. There's, a, there's a, an incredible breadth of understanding and skill and gifting required that, that takes a person to a place of mastery. 
It's been quoted, I can't remember, it's in a book um, that I have read, but I don't remember the author in, in this moment, but it's, it talks, the author talked about what it requires to, be, to become a master in something. And the number, as it sort of has been estimated, is it takes roughly 10,000 hours of intentional work on a craft to become a master. Now, you might have heard that somewhere. 10,000 hours. And that's not just working in your craft. So I, I preach every or most weeks in the life of this parish. And I've been a pastor in ministry for over 10 years. I've been preaching for how old am I now? Nearly 20 years. You can do some maths and figure out when I started with that, if you know how old I am. But um, I, I wouldn't consider myself a master, even though I would have absolutely spent 10,000 hours on preparing sermons. And some of you feel like I spent 10,000 hours speaking for sermons. But it's, it's not the working in the craft, it's the working on the craft. It's the skills and the giftings and the capacity and the understanding behind the performance, if you want to call it that, behind the moment I'm up here on the stage, or even the moments I'm preparing this. It's all the work behind that which actually leads us towards mastery. You would remember the Karate Kid. Anyone remember the Karate Kid movie? Anyone remember their kids watching it or their grandkids? Mr. Miyagi. What did he teach young, was it Daniel? What did he teach young Daniel to do when, it, when he asked him to teach him to karate? Wax on, wax off. And what was the other one? Paint the fence. And Daniel gets so frustrated with him. He's like, all I'm doing is cleaning your stuff and painting your fence. I'm your slave. I thought you were going to teach me karate. And then, do you remember the moment in the film where he throws a series of sort of, of, of punches and, and kicks and stuff, and suddenly he's able to fend them off? Something like that. There was work. There was formation behind the mastery. Daniel didn't realize, but what he realized, what he was taught in that moment is it's being a master is so much more than just the day that everyone sees. One would argue that mastery is about the days you don't see, not the ones that you do. That any sportsman would tell you that that is absolutely true. And this is absolutely true of every area of mastery, I think. And where, where, where are we going with this? Well, I think it's as true, if not more true, of one specific topic we're going to spend four weeks looking at, prayer. To be masterful in prayer, to be even a little bit good at prayer, takes work, takes understanding, takes spending time figuring out what it is about prayer that makes it significant, what it is that we ought to know. So that when we get on our knees, when we speak to God, it doesn't feel like our prayers just bounce off the ceiling and we wonder why we don't feel anything. Very few of us, I think, would consider that we're good at prayer. Does anyone say that they're a great prayer? Careful if you put your hand up because we've got prayer meetings Tuesday afternoons and 
I want to see it. None of us, none of us feel adequate when it comes to the realm of prayer. If you're, not a, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would argue that you've probably still prayed at some point in your life. Even if it's, if it's a prayer at the edge of your capacity. In fact, that's when most of us pray, is when we're at the edge of what we know how to do. It's a God, please help. If we, were, if we were to be on an aeroplane that was suffering a bit of turbulence, and your hands grip the, the armrests and you say, God help. The old saying that there's no atheists in foxholes. Everyone prays when they're desperate enough. Because there's something within us that tells us there's something out there. That's, and that's significant. If, if, you don't, if you don't learn anything else today, and I hope you do learn something, But if you don't learn anything else today, learn that your willingness when you've got nothing else to turn to, if your willingness to even ask and reach out to God for help tells you you've got an extraordinary amount of faith. Why? Because it tells you that you believe that there is a God, a being out there bigger than you. It tells you that you believe that that God knows who you are. You believe that that God cares what you're going through. And that that God has the ability to do something about it. Friends, you've got more faith than you think you do, even if it's only praying when you've got nothing left. So as we, we're working through this series, and it's called Grown Up Prayers. Grown Up Prayers. Because there's something about being a grown up that brings perspective and maturity, doesn't it? Some of you would consider that you never really want to grow up, but inevitably we do grow up one way or the other. And with growing up comes maturity. With growing up comes perspective. With growing up, generally, comes wisdom. And so what we want to do over these next four weeks, exploring this series, Grown Up Prayers, is I want to apply some maturity to your prayer life, to my prayer life, to our prayer life. Let's apply some maturity to it. And see what it is that God might want to do with, for us and through us in our relationship to Him. And, dare I even suggest, in answering some of the prayers that we had been praying for for an awful long time. Because I do believe in a God that answers prayer. I don't believe in a cosmic vending machine, and we'll get to that. But I do believe in a God that answers prayer. Do you? Amen. We do. So as we begin this journey together, where do we look to discover what it takes to be good at prayer, to develop a maturity and an understanding? Who do we ask? Where do we look? This is where the Sunday School answer is absolutely correct. Jesus. If you want to know what it takes to be good at prayer, if you want to know what it takes to be mature in prayer life, we've got to ask Jesus. We've got to ask Jesus. And what's helpful for us is that His disciples, the ones that journeyed with Him through His life and ministry, the ones who literally trailed behind Him and asked Him and learned from Him, the ones who ultimately carried the good news of the gospel into the world, they asked him this very question. Lord, what does it take for us to be good at prayer? What does it take for us 
We've seen you pray, and it's different. This prayer in the Jewish tradition has been since the very beginning. But what is it? We've seen you pray, Jesus, and your prayers are different. Somehow there's something different. And by the way, your prayers work when a whole bunch of other people don't. So, Jesus, what do you do that we could learn from? What do you do? What do you do, Jesus? But before I jump into this, to the text, which we're headed to Luke chapter, sorry, Matthew, we're headed to Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 6. We're headed to Matthew chapter 6, but before we jump into the text specifically, I need to give you a little spoiler about the rest of this series. Like prayer, like every other mastery, getting better at it looks a whole lot different to what you think it does. You might have been praying your entire life, and I would suggest you probably have been, in some form or another. But what I want to suggest to you as we, as we encounter this series and as we sit at the feet of Jesus, I want to let you know that prayer and mastery in prayer looks a little different to what you think it does, which means implication over this series I'm going to press on you a bit. I'm going to press on your expectations. I'm going to press on your assumptions. And I might even challenge some of your comforts in and around this idea of prayer. Make you a little bit uncomfortable, but my hope across this whole series. And I hope it's your hope as well. Because this doesn't work without you. My hope for all of us is that over these next four weeks, we will develop a level of maturity that would say, would, that would equip us to be good at prayer. That we could say, actually, yes, Josh, I am good at prayer. It might not take, it will take you longer than four weeks, but wouldn't it be amazing for someone to come to you and say, I've seen how you pray. And it seems to be different to everyone else, or to a lot of other people. How do you pray? How, wouldn't it be amazing to be a, someone like that, a resource for God's kingdom, that someone who's new to faith could say, I've seen how you pray, can you teach me what that's like? So that's our hope. So let's jump into the text for today, because I think that the text speaks for itself in many ways, so I'm going to teach straight out of it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, it's on the screen there. So this is Jesus in the middle of his teachings, his sermon on the mount. Verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Someone who lives differently to the way that they teach. For they love to pray, standing up in the synagogues and on the street corners, why? To be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But you, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father 
who sees what is done in secret and will reward you accordingly. Notice Jesus' first thing that he wants to get his disciples to understand in this context. In response to, so how do we get better at prayer? Well, Jesus says, don't pray so that other people can see you. Don't pray in such a way that, it's a, that other people can see and maybe even be impressed by your prayers. He says, instead, you've got to go into your room. You've got to close the door so that it's just you and God. You and God. So that your heavenly Father, who is unseen, will hear you. And he says that what is done in secret, you will be rewarded. I find it interesting, this contrast between seen versus unseen. There's three individual teachings Jesus does in this section. One about giving, one about prayer, and one about fasting. And each time, at the end of the teaching, he explores this, he states it exactly the same way. Then, your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Three times. Three times he contrasts being seen versus being unseen. Friends, I think one of the core foundational ideas that we need to understand about a robust and mature prayer life is our willingness to do it unseen. Jesus says that when we pray and get accolades for it, when we pray and people notice it, what does he say? He says, they get their reward in full. In full. Means there's nothing left over. No result of that prayer will be answered. They get their reward in full through the accolades and the glory that they receive upon themselves. Instead, do it in an unseen place. That's a private conversation. It's not to say there's a tension here. It's not to say you shouldn't pray out loud in a public space. I've prayed before we started. I'd like to think that that prayer would be answered. It would be helpful because I can't do this without the Holy Spirit and without God's help. And so the tension here is not the practical part of it. The tension here is the heart behind it. Jesus invites us to a a disposition of prayer that gets rid of everything, that it's just us and God, just us and our heavenly Father, a Father that loves us, a Father that wants to hear from us. And what do you do when you have have a one-on-one conversation with someone? Or if you're going to have a deep and meaningful one, you go into a place where it's just you and them. And what does that enable you to do? It enables you to focus on them like they're the only person in the room, because they are. It enables you to be honest with them about what's really going on, because you don't have to tell anyone else. It enables you to use language that you might otherwise find inappropriate in polite company. Anyone prayed something like that? When we pray like we are praying in secret... That's what it takes. 
That's a foundational part of what it means for us to develop a rich and deep prayer life. But Jesus goes on. It's not just about that. He continues, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, so it's, it's that and, when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans do. Pagans being those that don't believe in one God, they believe in a plethora of different gods. In the first century, that may have been Roman cults and, and other things as well. Don't keep babbling on like the pagans do, for they think that they're going to be heard because of their many words, because of their verbose speech, because of all the different types of fancy language that they want to use to pray. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be a babbler. And the picture in view here is simplicity. One of the, one of the parallels or the allusions here is an, an event that happened in the Old Testament between Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal or Baal. And there's, a, there's like a contest, and there's an altar that Elijah set up, and he pours water over it, and, and, and then there's the, the prophet, uh, the, the, false, um, the false prophets and their altar, and Elijah challenges them to call down fire upon the altar. And, and, the, and the false prophets, they, they carry on and they cut themselves and they, and they jump up and down and they babble in random speech and all sorts of stuff. And it doesn't work. And Elijah heckles them and he says, I don't think he can hear you. Keep trying. And they try and they try until there's... And Elijah says, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. You look silly. And then Elijah prays to Yahweh, to his God, and he calls down fire upon the altar that's got wet wood. It's winter. Anyone tried to put wet wood on fire? doesn't work so well. It's got a mo- this, this altar had a moat around it, so much water. And so the, the picture that we have here from the historical context is this these folks that bear, they don't even believe in God. They believe in something else. And the implication for us is perhaps if our prayers are ones are such that we just babble on and on and on and on and on, who is it that we're talking to? Who is it that we're talking to? Jesus might even go so far as to suggest that a mature prayer life is one that has simplicity. Tell God what you want. One of the most frustrating things I experience as a parent is when my children whine at me. I hate it so much. Like, more than is reasonable. God's working on that in my heart, I hope. I hate it when they whine at me because they don't make any meaningful noise. It's like, you've got words. Tell me what you want and I will try and help you. I wonder sometimes if God's just sitting there. If God sits, I don't know if God sits. He's on a throne, so I would assume so. That's a good, good point. I wonder if God's sometimes sitting there, just tell me what you want. I'm your Father. I love you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to help you. Tell me what you want. 
I think a mature prayer life is not one that is verbose in speech. It's not one that's babbling on. Now, this is, that's different to praying in tongues. We'll get to that later on in this series. If you don't know what that is, just park that and we'll talk about it later. This is just rabbiting on about random stuff. Maybe maturity in prayer looks like simply asking God, just simply talking with words that you would talk with anyone else. And I had another note here around talking around the point. Some have accused me of preaching around the point at times, and I get that, that's fine. But one of the most frustrating things that you encounter in conversation is when you ask someone a question and they talk around it. They don't answer the question. Some would argue that our politicians are really good at this. They talk around the point. There's nothing more frustrating than having someone talk around what it is that they want to say and never getting to it. I wonder sometimes if our our prayer is a bit like that too. Jesus wants to tell us, if you want to get good at prayer, don't babble on and don't talk around the point. Get to it. But he continues with this odd statement in verse 8. He says, do not be like them. So talking about the pagans, don't be like them. Don't do that. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Now, hang on a sec. Why do we bother praying then? It's got to be, if Jesus says, well, don't be like them because your Father knows what you need before you ask for it. And you go, okay, Jesus, so why do we bother asking? It's got to be, that's a good question. What does that mean? And the more that I've explored this idea and the more that I've researched it and the more that I pray through it, I think, I think what it is that Jesus wants to help us understand, and it's alluded to actually later on in, in chapter 6, in the idea Jesus teaches about worry. If you want some encouragement, certainly, go read verse 25 and beyond. But that's where we get this idea of what Jesus is talking about here. He says, ultimately, this gives us an insight as to what prayer is actually for. He says, God already knows what it is that you're looking for. God already knows what it is that you need because God's a loving Father. And so why is it that we want our children to talk with us when we know what they need? Why do I ask my daughters to tell me what they did today even though I already know? Because I want to talk to them. I want to get to know them. I want to hear it from them. I want to hear what they discovered, what they learned, what they're experiencing. Because that might be different to the facts. And so, friends, I think another part, a significant part of a mature prayer life is realizing that it's actually about the relationship. That for you and I, it's not actually about getting what we want. It's about the relationship with our Heavenly Father because God already knows what we need, but God actually still wants to talk with us. Wants to spend time with us. Every relationship, every marriage, every relationship of significance is built on two things. Time and transparency. That is what makes a relationship work. Time and transparency. You've got those two things, you've got a relationship of intimacy. Friends, if we're not praying for any length of significant time, and if we're not being honest in any sort of way, we can't expect that we would have a good prayer life. Because it's ultimately about 
the relationship. And then we get to the crux of all of this. So we know that we ought to pray as if we are in the unseen place. We know we ought to pray with simplicity. And we know we ought to pray for the sake of the relationship. But then we get to the actual prayer. And most of you would know this. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's the one that many of you would have been brought up praying every single day. Many of you still pray it every single day. Many of you wish we prayed it at church every single Sunday. And this is where I want to push on you a little bit. This is not a scripted prayer. This is a formula for prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not a scripted prayer, although you can pray it that way. The Lord's Prayer was Jesus teaching to His disciples about what matters regarding prayer, how we ought to do it. Not necessarily with these words, although they can be. But if you can pray it in the original language, then you're getting a little bit closer to exactly what the Lord's Prayer was. I can't, so this one will do just fine. But we get, as Jesus begins this prayer, we, we've got our disposition. And Jesus begins with this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. On earth, as it is in heaven. On earth, as it is where? In heaven. On earth, as it is in heaven. Where is God's reign and God's glory realized in its greatest sense? In heaven, where everyone agrees that He is Lord, where everyone is for his glory and his majesty above their own. And so Jesus says, okay, as you sit down, we've already agreed that you're unseen. We've already ag agreed that you're going to say this simply. And we've already agreed that this is about the relationship. So what do you say? You begin by saying, this is not about me. God, this is about you. And that gets us to the title of my message for today. Prayer is not about you. Can you tell that back to me? Because I need to hear it as much as you do. Prayer is not about you. As Jesus begins this illustration, this teaching on prayer, He says you've got to begin by giving the glory and the honor to God. You've got to begin by understanding that God's reign is the one that matters. God's will is the one that matters. doesn't mean we can't ask, but we've got to begin with the glory where the glory belongs, and that is with our heavenly Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer, a mature prayer life, it's not about you. I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's not. It's not about you. 
It's not about elevating ourselves. It's about a simple communication, not magic words. It's about strengthening a relationship. It's about acknowledging God as Lord, not just of our life, but of Lord of everything that there is. I think, friends, we need to take a step towards what well, a step away from seeing God as a cosmic vending machine that does, we only ever come to Him when we need something. We need to take a step away from that and a step towards seeing God and honoring and acknowledging God for the loving creator that He is. Now, I'm using the masculine language because Jesus uses the word Father, but we believe God is beyond any of that stuff. God's beyond gender. God is all of. Everlasting to everlasting. Nothing in creation can compare to Him. But we use that word because that's what Jesus used. We pray to a God that we believe desires a relationship with us. And so the central desire within each of us, before we ever get to our wish list, needs to be not the stuff that we're so desperate that God for God to give us, but God Himself. That's got to be our central desire. That's got to be the central part of prayer. St. Augustine, in his Confessions, states, he writes, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. How true is that? I wonder if how, how often we find restlessness in our souls and it is an unquenching restlessness and we pray 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 and, we pray and it never goes away. Why? Because we never stop asking for stuff when our principal desire needs to be God for God's self and God for God's sake and everything else follows after that. Everything else follows after that. It's the beginning of getting better is not knowing magic words or even how long we can pray for with, before we fall asleep. Although that's important. It's not even if we can pray in tongues, in languages of angels. It's not even the ability to quote Scripture back to God as if He didn't know it. as if he needs to be reminded of his word. Getting better at prayer with our heavenly Father starts with this mature understanding that prayer is not about the stuff that we can get from our heavenly Father. It's about our relationship with our heavenly Father. Nothing more and nothing less. Friends, as I said before, growing up is not about our age. Growing up is ultimately about our maturity. And Jesus spends 
so much time. In fact, when we read this prayer, Jesus spends so much time getting our heart right before He ever gets to how we ask for what it is that we want. Why is that significant? Because the relationship matters more than the requests. And so I believe a mature prayer life needs that rhythm. And you remember, you know, Jesus, as we believe, is the Son of God. Remember in the garden? Chris mentioned it as we began the service this morning. Jesus, as He's about to go to the cross, prays in the garden. Where is He? He's in the garden. And anyone else around? It's just Him and God. And He weeps blood, so much stress. He says, God, if you can take this cup, that'd be great, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus gives us, lives out that which He teaches. And that's why we consider Him the master teacher of life. That is why we ought to listen. Because He did all that was required that we could even pray to God by His death on a cross. And he showed us what our prayers should look like. So what do we do? I like to give you a practical step. I could just say, go home and pray. Do it. Amen. I like to be a little bit more accessible than that. And that's where I'd love to point you to a piece of paper that's on the the chairs near you. So my challenge for you as I close is this, how can you make your prayers less about you this week. And one way that I've discovered through my personal prayer journey this week, if you don't have one on the sides, I did pop them all in the middle, I apologize for that, but make sure you grab one before you leave. I'd like you to make this prayer what you pray at the start of every day until we meet again next Sunday. I want this to be your prayer at the beginning of every day. And it's, it's a prayer written by a man called Richard Foster. Richard Foster is a, a sage of prayer. I would consider him a master of prayer. R- written a number of books about it. It comes from the Quaker Christian tradition. He's about 80 years of age now, I think. But an absolute sage in this. He's written a, a bunch of different books on prayer. But he offers this. It's a way of us getting our heart back right with God before we ever ask for anything that we want. If you've got one there, read along with me or I'll just read it to you. Today, O Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, and my future. Care for them with a care that I can never possibly give. I release into your hands my need for, to control. 
my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom, there it is, on earth. For Jesus' sake, amen. Friends, a grown-up prayer life begins with understanding that prayer is not about you. It's about the God to whom we pray. So would you this week pray that prayer every morning? If you forget for a morning, don't pray it twice to catch up. You've missed that opportunity. Just pray it for that morning. And understand the gift that prayer is. Prayer is an opportunity, an invitation to spend time with our Heavenly Father every single day. An opportunity that may well transform our life, but it will certainly transform our heart. So would you pray a grown-up prayer this week? And then we'll pick, that up, pick it up next week with part two. So would you pray with me, church? Loving God, we're grateful for the gift of prayer. We give you all glory and all honor in this moment. We are grateful that we can be in relationship with you, and we are grateful for all that your Son, Jesus Christ, has done on our behalf, that we can sit at your feet and speak to you as our Heavenly Father. For that, we are eternally grateful. And so, Lord, we pray in this moment that your kingdom come and that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. May your glory be fully realized in our life. And may spending time with you be enough. And from it will flow everything else. Your scripture tells us from it will flow everything else that we need. So teach us to pray. And help us to realize that prayer is not about us. It's about you. In your name we pray. Amen.